Isaiah 51, 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and sounds of singing. Listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and will wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have my law in your hearts. Do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever. My salvation through all generations. Thanks, Nikki. Good morning. In his book, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey deals with the struggle that many of us have as we walk through life where we commit ourselves to the Lord, we want to be the Lord's people, we commit ourselves to pursue Him, to get to know Him, to serve Him, to obey Him. And yet, we find out that when we do so, often life gets harder. We think somehow that, you know, if I commit myself to the Lord, the Lord's a loving God, and therefore if I'm committed to Him, if I'm His child and trying to live as His child, that life should get easier. I should feel more satisfied, more comfortable in life. But what we find is we find ourselves facing tough, difficult situations. We find that we pray and pray to God for certain things that we just feel are so important to us, and God seems to be silent. He doesn't seem to answer. And we find ourselves, as we grow in Christ more and more, we find ourselves feeling more and more uncomfortable in this world. We find that this world more and more has different values than we do. Different morals. Injustice begins to bother us more as we look around and we we see a world that's consumed with comfort and with money. And we sense that that's not so important to us anymore. Our hearts are changing. Our values are changing as we grow in Christ. In essence, we have a different Lord. The world around us is serving self, serving money, serving different idols. And yet we find ourselves more and more led to serve the Lord. But that makes us at odds 
with the world around us. We are citizens of a different country, the kingdom of God. So the bottom line is, the more you grow in Jesus, the more you grow in Christ, the less comfortable you will feel here on earth. That's the reality. That's our calling. Recently, we sent our son, Jeremy, and his wife, Becca, and the four little girls to the Middle East for a long-term service of the Lord. We're excited about that. They're excited. They're, they're finally where they were felt called for so long. But they've been there a month, and it's still really difficult. You know, they're adjusting to a different culture, which has a different language. Shopping's different. Money's different. So many things are different, and they're, they're adjusting, but it's still hard. They showed up in a very nice apartment that somebody had rented for them, which was great, but they couldn't figure out how to keep it warm, and so they're freezing. And someone gave them space heaters, which is a wonderful gift to them. But the plugs didn't fit the wall outlets. And it's kind of like, how do you get adapters? And just all these little things adjusting to life in a foreign world. And what a parallel, though, to us. See, what the Lord has done for us, he hasn't taken us to a different country. He's planted a different country in us. (laughs) And we're now citizens of the kingdom of God, but we're still living in this world. But that means we don't fit here anymore. So the challenge for us, maybe, and and I just want to say this. If you're really comfortable here on earth, it may reveal the shallowness of your walk with God. If you're really comfortable here on earth, there may be something wrong in your walk with God. Praise God for the younger generations these days that are pointing out to us over and over again the awful injustices of racism and sexual slavery and economic equality and so forth to help shake us out of our complacency. So if you're really seeking to walk with God and yet experiencing the difficulty of wondering why God's silent sometimes, or you're experiencing suffering, you're experiencing the struggle and the sense of not fitting into the world, where can we get hope? How, how can we live as people of real hope in this kind of world? What can help us persevere with God rather than falling into despair at a world that all around us is literally going to hell? Well, we're in the book of Isaiah, and in chapters 1 through 39, which we covered last year, (laughs) Isaiah was writing primarily to the people of Israel before the exile to Babylon. He was challenging them to give up their idols. But in chapters 40 through 66, the second part of Isaiah, it's really written by Isaiah to the people already in exile who are experiencing life that's difficult, life in a different culture with a different language, with a place where they really don't fit, and they're losing hope. But in chapter 51, it's specifically to those who have a heart for God, who really want to please Him, but they're experiencing a world that's really difficult and uncomfortable, in a world where the faith seems so weak and marginalized all around them. These are the faithful who love God and want to see his kingdom come. But they're wondering, God, 
where are you? We're sitting here in Babylon, and, and where are you? How can we have hope in the midst of this kind of life? So Isaiah shows them how to have hope in the midst of hard times. And what he says, we'll find as we go through this chapter, is that it's all a matter of perspective. All a matter of where you are looking. Let's pray. Lord, if we're honest about our own hearts, it is hard to live in this world. You've planted eternity in our hearts. We're made for heaven and to live in your presence. And yet, life's messy. And you don't always seem to show up like we think you should. And that is hard for us. Lord, we need to know how to have hope in this kind of world. Use this passage, Lord, to open our eyes so that we might understand what it means to look differently, to look in another place, to have a different perspective. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we have hope in the hard times? Well, in verse 1 through 3, what Isaiah tells them is, first of all, you need to look back. Look back into the past. Look at God's working in the past. Let's look at how this passage begins. He says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Notice that he's talking to the godly ones, the ones who really have a heart for God, who want to serve him and live for him. Isaiah has been confronting the people about their idolatry. And the truth is we all have idols that we struggle with giving up. We trust in things other than God. That's part of our fallenness. But but as we learn to give those up more and more and, and pursue God and have a heart for him who honestly want him to deal with our idols and we're looking to follow Jesus, these are the ones that he's addressing. And notice what he says. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Last year, Jeannie and I decided to do a little remodeling in our kitchen and so... We took out the formica tops and we put in granite countertops. So when we were looking for the right granite we wanted, we went and looked at different places and we found this one we really liked. It was called Thunder White. <laughs> and we, we found a whole series of them. There were, I don't know, maybe 10 different slabs cut out of the same rock. And they all had a similar pattern. You could see the pattern developing because they were all cut, hewn from the exact same rock, clearly all from the same huge stone from a quarry in Brazil. (laughs) They were all similar. And so Isaiah draws upon that picture, that analogy, and he says, hey, Israel, I know you're lacking hope, but look at Abraham. Look to the rock, the quarry from which you were hewn. Think about Abraham. You're one of his descendants. You came from him. Not only just that you're descended from Israel, genealogically, but you are a person of faith like Abraham. You came from the same rock. You live by faith like he did. And think about his life. God called him and he followed. God said, I promise to give you descendants, to bless you with many descendants so that you can be a blessing to others. But how long did Abraham wait? 25 years, well past bearing age, until God finally blessed him with 
a son, Isaac. But all that time he wandered in the wilderness. He wandered. He lived in tents. He didn't really have a solid home. God called him. He endured. He waited. And he ultimately was blessed. And so Isaiah is saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, okay, I know you're going through the wilderness now. I know you're wandering like Abraham in a tent. But remember what happened to Abraham. God always keeps his promises. God will bless. And so if you look back in the past, you can see how faithful God has always been. I think the encouragement to us is to look not only at Abraham, but to look at all the people in Scripture, Joseph and others whom God Yes, they went through difficult times, but ultimately God blessed them in rich ways. But I think we can look not only at people in the scriptures, we can look back in history, church history, and how God has worked in so many faithful ways in so many people. And yes, there's suffering in God's people, but there's blessing ultimately in the end as well. So God will do to you, O Israel, is the encouragement of Isaiah. You're his children. And though you're in the wilderness now, in the waste places, in the desert, he says, where there's no water and it feels so hard, God has a plan to bring comfort and life to you. And it will be, he says, like the Garden of Eden, verse 3. Her wilderness he will make like Eden. God will do it because that's how historically he's always worked in the past. So the encouragement to you and me is God saying, look, those who are seeking God. Stop just looking around you at how difficult life is right now around you in the news, where you are, maybe in your family, whatever. And start looking at how God has been so faithful in the past to so many, even in your own life. Because God will fulfill his promises of goodness to you. And he's ultimately fulfilled them in Jesus, the Messiah. So my challenge to you this morning is, where can you look in the past to get encouragement? I know for me, one of the areas I can look at when I begin to get discouraged and get overwhelmed by the mess of this world is to just think about how God has worked in my own life, how When he called me when I was 17, I was so stuck in my own selfishness and my self-centeredness and life was completely about me. And yet somehow he he called me, he saved me and brought me to himself. And then within four years, he saved all my brothers and sisters. So all six of us came to Christ within a few years. And then my both my parents later in life, my mom at age 63, my dad at age 72 came to Christ and and. God has been changing us as a family and blessed us over the years. And for me personally, that's an encouragement that God will be faithful now. And I don't know what your story is. And maybe maybe you can't say the same thing I can. But God has given you some kind of story that you can look back to either in your own life or in the scriptures or other people's lives. You can look back and say, yes, God is faithful This morning we read the Apostles' Creed. That's been a creed throughout history that the saints have grabbed onto and said, yes, we are people of faith and we believe. And you can hang on to the fact that people throughout history have trusted God in the hard times. So you want to have hope in the hard times first, Isaiah says, Israel, look back, look to the rock from which you were hewn. Secondly, I think there's an encouragement to look around you at how God is working in the present. 
Look around you at how God is working in the present. Verses four through eight. Notice verse four. He starts out. Pay attention to me. (laughs) Oh, my people. Give ear to me. Oh, my nation. See, the challenge is they're not paying attention to him. They're looking in the wrong place. They've kind of forgotten that he's there with them in Babylon. And so they're confused. We don't tend to look for God's hand around us because the world seems overwhelming to us. So we look at this world. We look at what's happening. We look what man is doing to man. We look at government leaders. We look at all these things and we begin to get frustrated and discouraged at all the evil that man is doing to one another. And we wonder, where is God? But I think what what Isaiah is trying to say is that you just need to open your eyes to a bigger picture at how much God is actually doing right now in your world and in your life. You're losing perspective because you're caught up in this one thing. We're, we're like, you know, little kids. It's amazing. They can be in a room full of toys, right? But if there's two kids, you know where I'm going. <laughs> One's got a toy. What does the other one have to have? That toy. I mean, there's tons of toys, lots to play with, but I have to have that. See, I think I think we get so centered on one thing. We think, God, if you're going to show up, you have to do this. You have to save my child. You have to fix my marriage. You have to fix this or that or that. And, And we forget and don't see all the other blessings that God is working out in our world and in our lives. It's all a matter of perspective. So in verse six, notice what he says. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look at the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever. I think part of what he's saying is there is that's where you're looking. You're looking at the sky, you're looking at the earth, but that's all you can see because you're not paying attention to me, he says to the bigger things that I'm doing. All that's passing away, and yet you're somehow consumed with this world. So God says, you want hope in a crazy world? Look around you for where I am working. Look at where my light's breaking into the darkness. Look for where my love and power are being displayed. And in this section, I think there are two things he says you should be looking for. Notice what's repeated, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth. The end of verse 6, my salvation will be forever, my righteousness will not wane. The end of verse 8, my righteousness will be forever, my salvation to all generations. Two things, right? Salvation and righteousness. He says those two things, my arm... That word is repeated several times. My arm is causing to happen all around you. If you'll only open your eyes and look for where I'm bringing salvation and look for where I'm bringing righteousness. Let's just talk for a minute about that. Salvation. What is salvation? That's, you know, a big theological word, but it just means rescue. Where is God rescuing people today? 
He says, open your eyes and just look for how God is rescuing people today. Think about your own life. But just think about the fact that many Muslims are coming to Christ now more than any time in history through dreams, through all kinds of ways. God's moving in powerful ways, rescuing people out of darkness. Many students are responding to the gospel at BSU and on other campuses through campus ministries, through friendships, all kinds of ways. Many, many students are coming to Christ. Prison ministries are bringing many to Christ. And a number of those who have uh, are out of prison have come to Cole and are here. And we're so excited that you're here because we're growing together. And you're a reminder to us that God is a God of salvation and he's at work. A friend was telling me this week about a relative who resisted Christ, resisted Christ, finally was on his deathbed just last week. And he prayed to receive Christ. And he got better. (laughs) Who knows why? But now he's ready for whenever the time comes, right? I'm just saying, if we keep our ears open and our eyes open, we'll see how God is rescuing people all around us. So I know the world looks dark. I know it's a mess, but God's at work bringing salvation. Secondly, he says, look for righteousness. Again, a big theological term, right? All that means is that he's talking about changed lives. Look for how God is working today to change lives. I mean, we, I know you know people around you, you're watching change as God is calling the forth. But let me just remind you of things that I just am seeing. Men are leaving sexual sin behind and gaining true freedom in sexual purity groups at Cole and all throughout the world. Women are depending on the Lord and persevering in tough marriages, even though they're not being loved well. Women are finding the strength to leave abusive marriages after so many years of feeling trapped like they had no other option. That's a sign of God's righteousness awakening in them. Young people with same-sex attraction are finding the strength in God to give that to him and to remain celibate for the kingdom. That's the power of God at work all around us. Retired folks are choosing to spend their latter years serving God rather than being consumed, serving themselves through leisure and comfort. That's the power of God at work around us. People are using their money to give to kingdom purposes instead of spending it selfishly on themselves, on things they really don't need. That's the power of God at work, changing hearts. People are answering the call to go overseas. Some are loving kids in Sunday school when they could be home relaxing. And I mean, I could go on and on, right? I mean, this could go on for hours because God's at work all around us, changing hearts, calling people forth and helping them live for him. And that is a sign that God is at work today. And so Isaiah says, look around you. (laughs) Stop looking at the mess of the world and look for my hand, my arm It's what the passage says, which is his strength. Working salvation and working righteousness in our world today. Open your eyes, Isaiah says. Pay attention to what God's doing in the world. And to be honest, I get really excited when I do that. (laughs) 
Because God is at work. How else can we have hope in hard times? Well, I think Isaiah goes on to say, now, Israel, look back at what I've done in the, what God has done in the past. Be encouraged that that's the kind of God he is. Look around you for how he's working right now, even though the world's a mess, even though you're sitting in Babylon, look for how God's working salvation and righteousness, but also look ahead to what God has promised, what you have to look forward to so that you can have hope in the hard times. Notice verse 12. I, even I, am he who comforts you, God says. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you've forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy You see, he says, your problem, O Israel, is that you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking at man who's just going to fade away. And you're not paying attention to me. So what ends up happening is you end up living in fear. And isn't that true? When I fall into fear, when I begin to be afraid, it's because I'm looking at my world around me and I say, whoa, this is scary. And I forgot to look at what God is doing and what he promises for my future. So we get caught up. We think, oh, I'm so weak. Babylon's so powerful. Look at North Korea and Iran and Russia and our own leaders and how marriage being twisted from your intent, God, and morals are changing. And it's a scary world. What does God say to that? Verse 14, the exile will soon be set free. It will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord, your God, who stirs up the sea and the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth, have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth and to say to Zion, you are my people. In other words, he says, you've forgotten me, Israel. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) I'm at work. I know the world's a little scary, but you know what? You're looking in the wrong place. I'm your maker. I am your comforter. You are my people. I will never let my people perish. Doesn't mean life won't be hard. But when God's on your side, (laughs) you don't have to be afraid of a messy world, he says to Israel and to us. Notice verse 19 and 20. These two things have befallen you. Who will mourn for you? The devastation and destruction, famine and sword. How shall I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie helpless at the head of every street like an antelope in a net, full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Notice what he says. He says, I know you're suffering. I know life is hard. It's tough. Do you know how I know it's hard? Isaiah says it in another couple chapters, but we can look back and say, how does God know life's hard for us? Because he entered it himself. Jesus came and walked and suffered in our place. He suffered far more than any of us ever could. And so he understands the suffering we're going through. He enters into it. He entered into it 2000 years ago. But do you understand that all the suffering you go through He's walking with you in it and suffers with you today. You're never alone in it. So he says, I know you're suffering, but I'm the suffering servant. 
I've never exempted myself from the suffering. I suffer with you. And ultimately, I have a plan. He ends the chapter, verses 21 through 23. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord, even your God who contends for his people, who fights for his people. Behold, I've taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. I will put it into your hand of your tormentors who have done to you, said to you, lie down and that we may walk all over you. <laughs> you have even made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk over it. Notice he ends this chapter with a promise that in the end, your suffering will end. That I will deal with it. He drank the cup himself, right, of suffering. But ultimately, he's promised us new life with him forever and ever and ever. And so much of, of Isaiah is about that promise we have to look forward to, that all will be well someday. Justice is coming. Joy is coming. God has a plan. And so we can look forward and say, yeah, it's tough now, but God walks with me, he's in it with me, and he's got a plan to make everything right someday so that we can have hope in the midst of the suffering. So what should be our response to all this? Well, I skipped three verses right in the middle because all the rest of this chapter, except verses 9 through 11, are God speaking to the nation of Israel, challenging them, to get their eyes in the right place. But 9 through 11 is Israel responding to God. And notice what they say. Awake, awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Wasn't it you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Wasn't it you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, I love these verses because I think they're a, they're a great, declaration of faith in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of the suffering, they're listening to Isaiah and they say, "Okay, God, if that's true, wake up. Okay, we need we need you to do something here. Okay, we're we're ready. But then they don't just cry out to God for him to wake up, but they actually say, but, you know, it really was you who defeated Egypt. That's the whole picture of defeating Rahab. And the monster, it's defeating the nation of Egypt when he brought them out in the Exodus. How God has created a people, how God's done all this in the past. And by faith, they're reminding themselves of that. And they say, and you will bring the ransomed to you. Notice what they're doing. Looking back, looking forward, reminding themselves of what God has promised, that there will be a day when the ransomed of the Lord will return and there'll be joy everlasting joy on your heads. We're all going to look kind of funny, probably with joy on our heads, whatever that looks like, but it's going to be awesome. I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe a wreath of celebration or whatever, but the whole idea is that there will be joy. So what Israel does here is they're saying, okay, 
I'm trusting in what you say. I'm looking back, I'm looking forward, and I'm believing what you say, and I'm going to live by faith. Yes, life's hard, but I'm going to get my eyes on you and off the circumstances in my life. So what should we do in our response? Claim by faith the truth of what God says. We must keep our eyes on him and on what he has done in the past and what he's doing now and what he will do in the future to work out salvation and righteousness. I don't know about you. Maybe you're like me. I get motion sickness. First time I went deep sea fishing. We got out on the water about 4.30. By 5 o'clock, I was feeding the fish. (laughs) Twelve hours later, when we finally came in, I was still trying to feed the fish. But my dad would always say to me, whether it was in the car or on a boat or whatever, he would say, Look at the horizon. I did some reading about that because I didn't really understand motion sickness. At least the theory is that what happens in your brain is when you're moving, but you're looking like down reading or in a car or you're looking at the boat around you, you're looking at your immediate surroundings. What happens is you get sick because... Your brain says, I'm moving, but you're seeing everything else is moving with you, and your brain can't figure that out. So if you look at the horizon, you see there's something solid out there. And so you don't have to get sick. I think a lot of us have worldly sickness. (laughs) We lose hope because we're only looking at the stuff right around us, and we forget to look at the horizon, the horizon behind us. And around us where God's working in the horizon in front of us. Do you want to live with hope in the midst of this shaky, crazy world? You see, it's all a matter of perspective. Where are you looking? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are at work all around us. But we admit it's sometimes easy to forget. And we get caught up in this world. and We lose hope because... The world feels so overwhelming and real to us. May you, by your spirit, help us to have open eyes to see your hand at work in the past, in the present, in the future, that we might live as people of hope in a world that is so hopeless and desperately in need of seeing how there can be hope in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.